I mean, there was no crime for like four days. Four days. <laughs> no, even the criminals were celebrating. This is amazing. <laughs> What's up, everybody? Trey Wingo here. Welcome into another episode of Half Forgotten History. Look, it's a fact the Packers are struggling right now. And it's not the first time the Packers have struggled in recent memory. They went through decades of not being really good after winning the first two Super Bowls in the 60s. And then their fortunes changed in the 90s. And one of the reasons their fortunes changed was because they drafted a player who not only would impact their defense, but come up with their signature celebration, the Lambeau Leap. I'm talking, of course, about defensive back Leroy Butler. He's our guest this week on Half Forgotten History, talking about his legacy with the Packers, not only as a player, but as a guy who made a celebration cool. Enjoy. So I know it's great that you're finally in the Hall of Fame, but you're already in a more exclusive football fraternity than the Hall of Fame. You know that, right? Uh, no, help me out, Trey. Come on now. Homer Jones, the spike. Billy White Shoes Johnson, the dance. Uh, the Dirty Bird, Jamal Anderson, and the Lambo Leap, man. Like, that's so iconic. You created one of the greatest touchdown celebrations of all time. Yeah, I saw Icky Woods. I wanted to see him. Icky Shuffle, yeah. Yeah, I saw him at the Super Bowl, but I wasn't able to see him. I looked up to him because of that reason. And um, and the reason why, Trey, I I love it because it's with the fans. The fans are just so great. And sometimes I feel bad calling them fans because they're shareholders. I think they just raised yeah. another $65 million, you know, selling stock shares. So I love it. I love it. I just really do love it. Well, it is funny. Like the whole stock thing. If you're a Packer fan, you think it's the most valuable thing in the world. And if you're not a Packer fan, you're like, this is a worthless piece of paper. I don't understand. <laughs> it's, it's like, like your no middle ground. Yeah, it's, it's your, your neighbor. Like you spent how much for that? And it was like, well, <laughs> we're different since 1919. We wanted to keep our team. And I think sometimes people yeah. forget about uh, we don't have an owner. It's Mark Murphy. He's kind of yeah. the president, the head guy. But it's it's amazing setup. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll get into the Hall of Fame and the invention of the Lambeau Leap a little bit later. But I just, you know, in reading up about this, I was not aware of what you went through as a kid in Jacksonville. Like I I would imagine when you were young, the idea of playing any professional sport was the furthest thing from your mind because you had some real issues with your feet that you had to deal with. I think uh, my mom, uh, it's a few people along the way helped me because in Trey, I don't know why God chose me to navigate those rough waters growing up in the inner city, uh, five kids, my mom's single parent, Um, right in the inner city, it was, crime every day. I think for like 30 straight days or so, we averaged two homicides a day. And it, you wow. were thinking, how is a kid who was special needs, special education, couldn't read, really small, had braces on my legs, uh, couldn't run and jump like the other kids, but I was dead focused on making it to the NFL to get my mom out of the projects. And I was laser focused on that. Well, yeah, so so people don't know, you were born and they had to like break bones in your yeah. feet because they were so severely pigeon-toed, right? It was just like this, and they are supposed to be like this. And right. first they gave my mom these corrective shoes. They're real hard, got this little iron piece, and she's like, he's still- I, I wore those as a kid. I had to wear those shoes as a yeah, kid, so right. I know the shoes you're talking about, yeah. And you see them in every little kid's picture, and they're so cute, but they have this little bar mm-hmm. 
And it, the doctor told my mom, that's not working. He's still really pigeon-toed. So they put these Forrest Gump-like braces on me. And one of them was kind of straight. And I was, you know, so it, it kind of worked. I had to put in a cast. Mm-hmm. It was horrible. But I couldn't run, jump. Mm-hmm. I couldn't go swimming. I couldn't do like normal kids. Go to a sleepover. Uh, Trey, yeah. to me, the Super Bowl was to be on the top bunk bed. And I could never do yeah. that. So it was tough. Uh, so when did you realize or how did you get past that and be able to do the things that you – because you were voted one of the top 33 players in the history of Florida football. Yeah, you know, thank you for pointing that out. That's one of the accomplishments I'm really proud of. Florida had a lot of great athletes. I remember this conversation I had with my mother. First thing I went to – I used to go to my grandmother's house every weekend. And most of the kids, they're doing stuff on the weekends. You know, it's a lot going to the movies, to the mall. I would go to my grandmother's house, and I would fill out. Uh, she used to sell Avon. It was just cosmetics type, yeah. type stuff. I used sure, to fill yeah. it out. She'd give me a quarter every time. And my granddad said, why you don't go outside? Well, first of all, I can't. Second of all, I need to do something uh, productive to make me feel like I want to make it. And that's when my mom gave me a tough conversation. She said, it's a lot of African-Americans. It's a lot of white people, Puerto Rican. We're all living in this area, and it's all poverty. But you got to point and follow. She said, to be a good leader, my mom was like a, a philosopher. To be a good leader, you have to be a good follower. Choose the right leaders. And I was like, who is that? And she pointed to my teachers. And then my grandmother took it to another level. And she said, listen, God gave everybody this talent. I said, well, Grandma, what's my talent? She said, your talent is you have a unique ability to block out anything negative and just keep focusing on it. That's your talent. And, and when did you sort of overcome the, like, I, I read a story. I know this is true. Like you were watching uh, people play kickball outside. Then somebody came in the room and, and knocked over one of your, one of your braces. And then you realized you got up and you realized you didn't need them anymore. Is that, is that how it happened? Well, sort of. My sister was late for the prom, or she was going on okay. a date. And I'm just watching the kids play, and, I, of course, I couldn't. And she was late, so she came running down. And she was like, well, I'm late. I got to come down. And when she turned the corner, she kind of clipped me, and my braces broke. And then she was like, you, don't, you can go outside now and play with the other kids. And I was like, I don't think I'm supposed to take these off. And it's almost by a miracle if she wasn't running late and me wanting to go outside, I don't know if it would have happened. But it just seemed like every time it was something negative, God would say, I got you. You just got to be a good mm-hmm. kid. I got you. And I'm telling you, Trey, it changed my life because I feel like, mm-hmm. hey, I can, I can actually run, but not fast. I can actually stand, mm-hmm. but I can wobble. And I had to, I had, I got rid of these crutches. And that was it. And after that, mm-hmm. I wanted to go outside and play kickball like the other kids. And, of course, you know, when the kids saw me, they were shocked. Like, we never yeah. see him playing it because of that reason. So I was pretty excited. So so how quickly did you realize not only can I walk and I can run, but yeah. I might be pretty good at this. I, I might be actually a pretty good athlete. Well, that's a good question. My sister would know because she was – she raised five boys because my mom worked three jobs. But I was always her favorite because I do exactly what she told me. And she said, listen, <laughs> I'll take you to sign up for baseball 
if you walk me to the, uh, she was, it's a dangerous neighborhood, but I wanted to walk her to, yeah. she was what you call, they call them a candy striper. It's like an intern at the uh, hospital. Sure. Hospital, yeah. It's like a nurse, you know, intern. So I would walk her there and then we would have a discussion. Then when she got off, she takes me up and the coach looks me up and down. They like, can't run. I mean, we haven't seen him run. She said, yeah, but he's smart and he'll work hard. So baseball trade, the reason why I play for the Packers instead of the Brewers, the first pitch mm-hmm. the kid hit me. And <laughs> I was like, is he supposed to throw it at the mitt? I mean, the catcher. And then my sister and mom had this discussion. Nope, we're not playing baseball. We're playing football. Because because you're, you're a special needs kid and you're not real fast. You're going to need 10 other guys to help you. So let's just stick with the NFL. <laughs> so, yeah. but when I, my uncle Charles Durham took me out to play uh, Little League sports, I still wasn't that good, but I would stay out there and do things. And the coach took notice of that, probably like around the seventh grade. Yeah. And then you, when you got to Robert, uh, Robert E. Lee High School, yeah. uh, uh, you, you, you sort of took off there, right? Yeah. Uh, look at God. I mean, this is amazing, Trey, because I never felt this talent. You know how people like LeBron James wake up and he's great. Right. He probably was born right. with a beard and teeth and muscles. I wasn't. <laughs> I had to work for it, you know? I mean, so when I was at Terry Parker High School, I get a call and my mom say, come talk. That's a different high school. My mom is on the yeah. phone. And she's like, you got to go to Robert E. Lee. And I said, well, why? She said, well, they got this busing system based on your last name, not by, you know, poverty of money they just wanted to kind of do some integration this is the south now so this is how they right, think yeah. down there okay the, the african-american kids and the minorities and the white kids they can all go to school together but i didn't realize where i was going trade to robert e lee and then my yeah. uncle sat me down and said wait a minute let me explain this confederacy thing the civil war well you go there and you make a difference you know it's gonna be some difficulties but so when i get to lee the best, this is amazing. The best coach was Corky Rogers, my high school coach. Everybody wanted to play for him. I mean, right. this guy was, I mean, he was a scientist when it comes to football. So when I got there, things started to change a little bit. And, and when did they, when did Corky or the coaches tell you, like, did they tell you, hey, I, you can be really, really good? Or was it something that sort of went, happened gradually? Oh, that's another good question. I was in my algebra class wondering who invented algebra. I mean, I'm trying to add <laughs> two letters to get a number, and it turns into a ladder. This is not going to help me get in the NFL. But I'm sitting in my <laughs> class. Coach Gary Warner gets me out of class. He said, hey, you're going to varsity. I said, wait a minute. I'm a JV guy. I'm like 152 pounds. There's no way I can go to varsity. I'm not ready. He said, nope, you're ready. Because they would move up six guys from JV. My 11th grade year, now Coach Corker Rogers say, hey, I, you're, you're on the varsity. You've made it. And this is when my life changed. Coach Corker Rogers come to my English class, and he says, I need to talk to you. It's very important. I said, well, what's going on? He said, you're the first All-American in Lee history. And they're going to make an announcement over the, to the school. I said, well, why would they do that? He said, well, we never had an All-American. This is great. And it changed. I had no friends. I wore hand-me-downs. I had mm-hmm. holes in my shoes. My brothers went to the school trade. They weren't even my friends. 
<laughs> Nobody would talk to me because all I wanted to talk about was the NFL and Bible study. I get it. That guy, that is not real popular. But for me, it, it's yeah. emotional because my teachers were amazing. I mean, they were just great. They always kept me focused. And my senior year, when I found out I was a consensus All-American, the first in school history, that was life-changing for me because that's the first time I saw myself in the newspaper. Because I know yeah. some millennials watching this say, y'all had newspapers? Yes. We didn't yeah, they, they have no idea. Yeah, they, they have no idea some of the things we had to deal with. Zero. Um, so then you get to Florida State, and what was your experience like playing there for Bobby Bowden? Well, here's the thing, Trey. I was a Proposition 48. Now, yeah. uh, the cliff notes to that was, first of all, I was a consensus on America. I got all these letters from all over. And everybody wanted me to come, but when I didn't pass the SAT test, my teacher, Miss Gordon, she's in my book, uh, the Leroy Butler story. She pulls me to the side, and she had this look on her face. Her makeup was running. She was very upset. I said, what's going on? She said, you can't go to college because of you didn't get an SAT score high enough with your core classes. I was like, what does that mean? But my mom, again, mm -hmm. wasn't available. She took the application down, filled it out this thick. All the teachers, everybody filling it out. So me, I go to Coach Bowden, rest in peace. He, he had, Trey had one visit, one visit, and he chose to come to the projects to tell my mom, and he's a man of faith. He said, I don't care about these rules. I must have Leroy Butler at Florida State, and I drove two and a half hours to tell you. I didn't want to mail you a letter. I didn't want to write a letter. No, I had to drive down. I told Coach, you don't want to come in the projects. Now, it's rough. And him and Brad Scott, no. they came in there and they, they changed my life. All the other schools said, no, we can't accept you. Even though the rules said you can accept six kids, they said, no. He had one visit. He came. He changed my life. In my freshman year, I couldn't play. But it didn't matter. I was the first yeah. one in my family tree to go to college. And it was just so emotional. I just, it's hard to even think about why did he do that? Because I, my life would have been over. I don't know what I would have did. I, I just don't know. Because my grandmother always said, have a, a plan A and a B. But my grandfather used to yell in the background, don't have all, just make sure A works. And the only way I <laughs> Just so I don't know why he did it. I just don't know. And he was he was everything to me because when they were going off to play Michigan, I'm sitting there, I'm waving to the guys. The players thought I was weird. Like, why are you waiting? I said, because next year I'll be like you guys. But that changed yeah. my life as a freshman. I mean, I can clearly see how much it still means to you when, when you talk about it. What was your relationship like with Bobby once you got there? Oh, now that was – Coach Bobby Bowden is different. He loves you outside the uniform. So he always said, yeah. the name on the front, FSU, means a lot. But the name on the back, that's who you stand for. If you get in trouble, if you do something, domestic violence, if you disrespect somebody, they're going to say Florida State player, but your name, you represent your mom, your dad, your family. So that name... 
It's a big deal. So he taught me how to wash clothes because I was jamming like dollars when it says coins only. <laughs> he said, no, you got to do this. <laughs> he just, he made me president of the fellowship of Christian athletes. I didn't know what that was, but mm. I just know that he changed my life. In my sophomore year when I was able to play, Mickey Andrew, that's our defensive coordinator. He coached Deion Sanders, Terrell Buckley, Martin May, oh, yeah. all Derek Brooks. He said, get on every special team. That's how they notice you. That's the only advice I'm going to give you. Because when I looked at the depth chart, depth chart, Trey, I was the fifth string free safety. Fifth string. Because I sat out my freshman year. All those kids leaped. Right. Lampo leaped. They leaped ahead of me because I didn't play. <laughs> but I was on every special team. I got noticed. Yeah. And, and when, after you got noticed and started playing, did you think, okay, I might really be able to do this. I might really be able to realize my dream and maybe get drafted and play in the NFL. Well, here's the thing. Uh, we went to Clemson, and we had this fake punt called the punt ruski. Fumble ruski, the punt ruski. Yeah, the punt ruski. And my nephew is his favorite play, and uh, when he watches it on YouTube, or whatever, he just loves it. I remember that particular play, Trey, because we were saving it for Florida. We played them at the end of the year. And I remember coach, right. we did it in practice. It didn't work. We said, we'll just try it on the our punt, our punt return team, see if it worked. It didn't work. They sniffed me out. So when we were running, we were down on our own, like, 20-yard line. And um, coach, it was fourth down as I'm running on the field because I was always on the punt team. So Danny Ford and Clemson, they didn't, nothing looks out of the ordinary. And coach covered his mouth. He says, run it. I said, Wait, what? It's raining. Burt Reynolds had bought, just bought us these white uniforms. We were so fly. And I was like, are you sure? <laughs> he said, yes. So as I'm going out there, I'm like, run it. That's all we had to say. And everybody knew what to do. Our punter jumped. Like the ball went over his head. The whole 80,000 people, they're jumping up and down like the ball went over. And they just see me running. And I wasn't real fast as, as we first started this interview. I'm running down. Yeah. One of my best friends. I love Donnell Wolford. He's back. He's part returning. He's looking like, what is going on? Then he sees me. So he knocks me out of like the three. Richie Andrews, one of my boys, that's my guy. He made the field goal. That's when I say, you know, I'm getting noticed. Deion Sanders get drafted yeah. by Atlanta. Coach Bowden calls me in his office trade. I'm like, what does Coach Bowden want? He said, don't even sit down. I said, what do you mean? Because normally when you go into the boss's office, have a seat. He said, just stay right yeah. there. I got to move you from safety to corner because Deion is leaving. I need you. I think you can play corner. I said, coach. And I put my hands up. I said, you know, one of my feet are like this. I'm not, I can't really backpedal. <laughs> Don't worry about it. You're going to, going to corner. He moves me to corner. Coach Andrews, he was teaching me to, to this backpedal like Deion and Terrell. And May. I couldn't do it, Trey. I was like a shuffler because it was my first year playing corner. And he, he just said, wait, wait, wait. No more backpedaling. Just play. Just And I appreciate yeah. him for doing that because it made me kind of grow into the position because I wanted to be a, like a bump and run, a press corner bail guy. And he wanted me to kind of be off so you can get more interceptions. And I was like, I can't. I, I just, But, you know, I won't say I can't. I'll just say I'll try. Yeah. And it just didn't work. So he stopped me one day. And probably, oh, wait, wait. Just do what you do. And that's when it hit me. One day I may have an opportunity to get drafted. Well, uh, you, you did actually get that opportunity, and you certainly made the most of it. So why don't we take our first break here. When we come back, we'll talk about 
how a kid from Jacksonville, Florida, goes to Tallahassee and gets drafted by someplace in Wisconsin. We'll get with that with Leroy Butler right after this. Time for our Mercedes-Benz trivia question. Hall of Famer Leroy Butler was the first member of a very elite group of defensive players. At least 20 sacks, at least 20 interceptions. We want to know how many other defensive players have joined Leroy Butler in that category. We'll give you the answer after the break. You know, you open up a Mercedes-Benz Sprinter and you're opening more than doors. You're unlocking potential to do your own thing, be your own boss, and live out your own dreams. With 16 body types, your choice of a gas or diesel engine, and thousands of ways to customize, a Sprinter van is capable and versatile enough to help you drive your ambitions as far as you want to take them. So go ahead, unlock your potential inside a Mercedes-Benz Sprinter. All right, back on this episode of Half Forgotten History with Leroy Butler. So uh, you, you finally break through, you play great for Florida State, and you're waiting to get drafted. What were, your, what were people telling you about the draft, where they thought you might go? Well, uh, the, the good thing about that particular question, we, I, was, I was a consensus All-American. We fly yeah. out to meet um, Bob Hope. So I'm out there, and we're on his show. You hear everything from scouts, uh, media people. You may go in the first, second round. I go back to my small apartment, no air conditioning. We got about 40 people in there. We have no food. We have one television that's so small, you have to watch it one at a time. It's in black and white. It got these little antennas with the like the uh, aluminum foil on it. Praying that no one bumps into it and the cable goes out. And I just, and at the time, Trey, and as I think you may know this, I was a huge Cowboy fan. I, yeah. I was such a big fan that from like 12 and up when they lost games, I would cry. That's, I mean, I'm crying. I mean, so I was, I'm thinking, I hope it's the Cowboys draft because that would be amazing. But And we had these rotary phones, so I have anxiety. Oh, to, yeah. this, to this day, I have anxiety. So I'm thinking the phone's not going to ring. I mean, what if they call me and they can't get me? I mean, again, there's no internet. There's, there's none of that. Yeah, nothing but like that. I'm like, so I'm thinking, my mom's like, no, God is good. They'll call. The first round goes. I remember talking to Dick Duran. He was my defensive back coach. We had a yeah. small conversation, but I said the Packers are not going to draft me. Everybody said I was going to the Houston Oilers. And then I kept hearing the Bears. And then San Francisco. And then I'm sitting there. The first round goes. I'm a very patient guy. The second round starts trading. I'm starting to, like, pace in my mind. My anxiety is going out. The mental illness is going out of control because I don't want to. I'm, I'm the first guy <laughs> in this project going to get drafted. It's about fifty thousand people outside. It was like the Bucks won the championship. Wow. The Milwaukee Bucks. Remember that, Cameron? It was like that in the project. Wait for me to oh, get yeah. drafted. And look at God. The phone rings, and I go to the phone. Hello, this is Lee Rimmel with the Green Bay Packers. I said, it was like God was talking to me. He said, we're going to select you with the 48th pick, but you got to talk to the head coach first. He was talking real fast. He said, I said, why? What's going on? Well, at that time, they didn't want – people was like, if you don't want to go to this team, you'll embarrass them and say, I'm not coming. I said, right. Mr. Right. Uh, Rimmel, only quarterbacks do that. I'm coming, okay? Yeah. yeah. Lindy and gets on the phone. <laughs> Lindy and Fonny gets on the phone, and it was the best day of my life. He said, Leroy, you're coming to the most storied franchise 
in history. The Green Bay Packers, we're going to select you. It's 48th pick in the second round. He said, just stay on the phone. So they turned in the card. I remember Chris Berman. That's my guy. I mean, that's the GOAT. The Packers just yeah. like Roy Butler. My whole insides just stopped working. and I couldn't move. Because my mom was praying, thanking God. People were running all over the projects. I mean, there was no crime for like four days. Four days. <laughs> <laughs> no, even the criminals were celebrating. This is amazing. <laughs> Plotting, how can they rob me? <laughs> yeah. It was. It was oh, funny. That's great. It, it was. It, we, it was hilarious. The mayor was like, "I never seen this. The crime rate went down because Leroy Butler got drafted." I, I just, I'll never forget that day. I, I just, it changed my life. Because you're going from poverty, yeah. I mean, poverty to a possible millionaire. I mean, how do you wrap your head around that? It, it, it can be difficult. And that's why sometimes that transition is really hard for a lot of kids. And we forget yeah, that they are kids. But now, like you said, Jacksonville, Florida, Tallahassee, Florida. And now you're in Green Bay, Wisconsin. And the Packers, as we now know them, were not the Packers that you went to. This was a franchise that had their great years and then went through two decades of a lot of really bad football. And you landed right before it all started to turn around again in the early 90s. You know, it was tough because I went to two Fiesta Bowls and the Sugar Bowl. That's back when bowls were a big deal. So I'm used to winning at least 10, 12 games. Right. And I remember my first year, my rookie year, 1990, it was, it was, it was bad. I mean, we were six and ten, and four and yeah. twelve, and then yep. it was like it was a losing culture. But things started to change. I got another phone call. There was um, Lee Rimmel again. They said we just hired a new coach because they uh, Ron Wolf came in, and it it right. was Mike Holmgren. Now Trey, I didn't know who the hell Mike Holmgren was. I'm like, <laughs> sort of like what people would think after Mike McCarthy, you get Matt Lafleur. Like, who's Matt Lafleur? I mean. I, Right. You just don't know. Right. So I come back up and I meet him and he's a tall guy and you know, he's, he's very soft smoking and but he had a Super Bowl ring. I said, Okay, I see the connection. Oh, this guy's been around San Francisco, Montana, Young, Seaford, Bill Walsh, West Coast. I said, Oh, this is great. Brett Favre comes in, Trey, things started to look different. Cause we had the magic man. Mikowski. Don Mikowski, yeah. Yes, Magic Man was everything, but Brett comes in from Atlanta, and he just wanted an opportunity. I think he was third string down there. We gave up a first-round pick for him. Probably one of the best trades of all time, Packer history. And then yeah. trade the next year, we got Reggie White, and then the culture changed. Well, I, I was about to say, really, three things changed everything. Obviously, getting Holmgren. Obviously, trading for Favre. But for people that didn't that don't remember or didn't live through the pre-free agency era of football, the idea of Reggie White, who at the peak of his powers could have gone anywhere, anywhere he wanted to go, he chose to go to Green Bay. That changed the entire landscape of what was possible with that team. And that was one of these narratives that people say they want big-time players to go in big markets not the smallest yeah. market. And it was a report that 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 Reggie signed a four year seventeen million dollar deal. 
with San Francisco. And I think he was in San Francisco. So Mike Hogan calls him, say, Reggie, this is God. You got to sign with the Packers. And <laughs> Reggie was like, oh, okay. So when Reggie is in Green Bay, nobody knew. He just, he was like, when I read that report in the paper, he was there like a couple of days later. So when I went to get my physical, I saw Reggie. It was like seeing a unicorn. Did I just see that? Wait, wait a minute. <laughs> so I go in there because I'm real nosy because I'm from Duval, right? I say, right. Reggie White, what, what are you doing here? I thought you was in San Francisco. He said, Roy Lee, God told me to come to the Packers. I looked up. I said, thank you, God. And then I said, wait a minute. <laughs> I said, wait a minute. Did it have anything to do with the Packers guaranteeing the $17 million? He goes, well, a little bit, yeah, yeah. The Packers. <laughs> Just a little bit. Yeah, they structured his deal where it was guaranteed. So not only did he yeah. sue the NFL to be a free agent, he chose the smallest market. They fixed his contract the way your four years, you'll get every penny. And when he came in that locker room and gave his first speech, he mentioned championship. We haven't heard that since 1968, the fans. And it was it was great. It was just the culture changed. Yeah. And, and you know, for people that don't know, uh, they may know that you, as we talked about at the top of the show, you created the Lambo Leap, but it was on a play that involved Reggie White. Yes. Yes. I called the fumble. Uh, I think Randy Jordan, uh, Vince Evans was the quarterback. I called the fumble. Reggie picks it up and he's running. And I remember in my mind, uh, Holmgren said, if a defensive back or a lineman or a linebacker, you get a fumble or interception, don't ladder it because you're going to fumble it. So as I'm running over there, it had to be 12 degrees below. It was freezing cold. The field was frozen. I'm running over there. And I looked at Reggie. And he's running. I said, wait a minute. He's going to ladder this ball. So I run over there, and he laddered it just as he was falling. I got it. And as I'm running – I'm thinking this is cool. Now I'm a Florida State guy, so I said, "What do I want to do? Yeah. This is my first touchdown." And I said, "You know, I'm gonna just jump." It, it was just spontaneous. I'm sure the fans are like, "Wait a minute, why isn't he stopping? What's going on here?" And I throw the ball yeah. down. And I jump up there and and hug the fans. That's something that's that was never thought of to thank the fans for sitting in these crappy seats right in the end zone. Most people want to be in the city, <laughs> right? It was it was great, and then a few years later, Robert Brooks made a song about it, and it just blew up, and it yeah. was it was amazing. It really was, and the fans loved it. They absolutely loved it. They loved it. Did you have any idea what it would become when you did it that first December in nineteen ninety three? No idea, no idea. And I remember the president, Bill Clinton, comes to see us, and he comes in. And we're all in Lambeau Field. And I asked Robert, I said, Robert, do you got the CD? Again, CDs, we don't have them anymore. He said, yeah, I got yeah, yeah. Jump in the stands. I said, give it to me. He gives it to me. I go over to the president of the United States, Bill Clinton. I said, Mr. President, now Secret Service at this time should like, sir, don't take anything, you know. They let yeah. me give it to him. And he, I said, this is about, my friend wrote this song jump in the stands and it's about the lambo leap he said what's the lambo leap <laughs> you don't know about the lambo leap but do you not have the internet what is going on 
he's yeah. like, no, what? So I explained it to him. He put it like a real true gangster. He put it in his coat pocket. And he said, I'm going to listen to it. And me and, me and Robert went, what just happened? And once people yeah. heard that story, it blew up everywhere. Everybody was listening to Jump in the Stands by Robert Brooks. And that song, I mean, one of my favorite songs. And that's when I knew, oh, it's, it, it took off. It took off after that. Yeah. And for those that don't know, Robert Brooks, wide receiver uh, oh my for the God, Packers. He was, great. He was uh, good. Yeah. One of the best he was, slot He was really, really good. Yes. He scored a yeah. lot more than me. So, yes, he did. Yes, he did. So Reggie got there and the tide started to turn, but you guys had one problem. And I guess it's somewhat ironic because it was your favorite team growing up. That Cowboys team in the 90s was your nemesis for a long, long time in the postseason. It was because the 90s, Trey, as you know, it was three teams dominated the 90s, San Francisco, Dallas, yep. and Green Bay. Now, Dion was like yep. jumping back from Cowboys to San Francisco, but 1995, the Cowboys beat us. We had them on the ropes, but they beat us, and they're going to win the Super Bowl. But I remember on the plane, you know how you're supposed to sit on your seatbelt until you go up to 10,000 feet? Mike yeah. Holmgren is getting up after the Cowboy game telling everybody next year we're going to win it. Next year we're going to win it. To every row, next year we're going to win it. Because he said, I know what's missing. Desmond Howard, that's my guy. Yeah. Andre Risen. Bruce Wilkinson, Ron Cox. Oh, I know, I know what I need. Cause I we had great offensive defense. We did have a good special teams. So he put right. together him and Ron Wood put together an amazing meal of ingredients. And the next year, twenty six years, almost to, over twenty five years later, we just celebrated. We went in the Super Bowl thirty one. It's interesting that you say that, Leroy, because. Super Bowl 31, really the thing that sort of put you guys over the top was Desmond Howard's return, right? That was the Patriots just made a really close game. And what you just talked about is the thing that sort of pushed you guys past uh, past the Patriots and, and put you on your way. And that was the difference. That really was the difference in the game because yeah. we on that track, we beat a lot of teams. And Desmond is the Super Bowl MVP, by the way. Some people thought it was Brett. But like I said, we had great defense. I got a sack. Reggie got three sacks. Uh, we had an interception. Brett had a great game. But the difference was special teams. And they had just scored. And I said, if they kick it to Desmond, it's a wrap. And they kicked it to him. He returned it. Yeah. And I'll never forget that day when homeroom, we were looking at the trophy. And that's when grown men were real, real crop. We will cry when we win championships. But I remember holding that trophy and I yeah. saw Lombardi's name on it. And that's when it's – and then some interns said 80, 90 million people saw that game. And then I saw a sign, Trey said, 30 years of misery has ended with going to the Super Bowl and we won the Super Bowl. That was just so impactful for the city, the state. And I think it was good for the NFL too, the smallest market, you know, playing one of the teams with, you know, uh, you know, the, you know, the Patriots – and, you know, Bill Parcells, who I thought was a, an amazing coach, I mean, beating them right. meant a lot to us. Well, absolutely. And, and it proved that the structure of the NFL works because there's no there's no city smaller than Green Bay. And if they can win a championship, anybody has that opportunity. 
look, Green Bay is so unique on so many different levels, and you still call Wisconsin your home now. What was it like being part of, of that team that sort of returned the city to glory as well as the franchise and the relationship that you guys had with the team and the city and the fans? You know, it was just so – because the fans are our DNA, and the team is – everything is the G. The G is everything. Players change the G won't. But once you win a championship in Green Bay, everybody's like a rock star. You're the lead singer. Not just Brett, not just right. me, not just Brett. You could be just a guy that never played. If you played for the Packers, Super Bowl 31, you were dressed, you were the lead singer. And, I mean, you were Drake. Yeah. Everybody was Drake, okay? And there was no, <laughs> the, no DJ, no, everybody was number one. And you said to yourself, this is amazing because of the fan base. Everything up here is green and gold. And you also know this, that our economy is tied to the Packers. I mean, yep. everything, when they win, everybody spends money. When they lose, it's like a ghost town. I mean, people don't even shovel the snow. And so, <laughs> I mean, it is what it is because it's everything. And we had so many parties and we had a big, I mean, it was just so many celebrations because you never know when you can get back to winning a, another Super Bowl. Yeah, and, and that's something that the current Packers are trying to figure out as they go through some stuff, and we'll get to that a little bit later. But you retired after the 2001 season. You played nine games that year. Did it ever occur to you when you finished that one day you'd end up in the Hall of Fame? Uh, I, I'll be honest. Lee Rimmel, I've mentioned his name, name a lot. I remember I was yep. all decade. He walked by my locker because yeah. he told me how to deal with people like you, you know, media guys. You know. <laughs> <laughs> he was just because I wanted to know, like, how does this work? I mean, what is a teleprompter? How does I mean, how do people read this stuff? And yeah. you know, I mean, how do you get this information processed? And he told me that you guys are some of the smartest people in the world because you can process information. He said the reason why I say that because you're all decade the voters voted you in one day you may get in the hall of fame. And he just stopped. And he said, do you understand what, the impact of what I'm saying? He said, you were first team. Okay. All decade. And after that, I said, well, I don't know how realistic it is. I don't know. But I thought about it, you know, when he said that to me and it meant a lot because you only have so many guys on that particular team. And then I remember a conversation me and my mom had. She said, wouldn't it be great? She passed away five years ago. Wouldn't it be great for African-American in the inner city? You know, he got his first new shirt from the Salvation Army, you know, from getting bullied from K through 12th grade, winning the Super Bowl. But if you ever make it to the Hall of Fame, that's on a different platform to tell your story. More people, you'll get yeah. a chance to tell more people your story and she was right about that because it, it's been life-changing for me and my family. And the wait, it's been, it took 20 years, you know? I mean, you, you have to wait 15, you have to wait five. So we're talking 15, 16 years. Did you ever lose faith that, that it might not happen? No, absolutely not. Remember, if you know my story, I've been waiting my whole life. I waited to yeah. play sports. I waited to swim. I waited to do normal stuff. But I do know what it feels like if you're a young lady and every year you're thinking that he's going to propose to you and he never does. And next year, yeah. your friends say, oh, he's going to do it. He never does. 
And then you just give up. Then you say, no, I got faith because he's a good guy. You know, I'm going to give him a chance. And then next thing you know, he shows up to your door and it's Charles Woodson. And you think, now, I know people, the cliches that, uh, you know, great things happen for, you know, you know, patience is a virtue, all that kind of stuff. But if you really don't believe it, it's hard to wrap your head around it because I remember Mr. Baker calling me that first year, my first year when I was eligible, I was a finalist. I was so excited. He said, oh, unfortunately, Leroy, you didn't make it. I said, wait, Mr. Baker, wait, I got a chance to meet Roger Staubach, okay? That was my hero growing up. I'm good. That was my first year. The second year, <laughs> hey, I mean, it was the pandemic. Well, we're still going through it, but I'm just saying, I'm okay with it. And he said on the phone, but you made the final 10, so you never know. This year, I didn't know how they were going to do it. Jim Porter runs it now. And right. his idea to have my teammate do it was platinum because I never I never thought it would happen like that. Have you thought about what that night in August is going to be, feel like yet? Have you even allowed yourself to go down that road and think about all the people that helped you along the way, whether it was your grandmother, your mother, Bobby Bowden, Lee Remmel? I've been thinking about it my whole life, and it just means so much. If you're a parent with a special needs kid, like my son, um, Leroy Butler IV, who's my favorite, by the way. I got six daughters and him. And they say you're not supposed to say that, but that's my guy. He He's autistic, and he may never do the Lambo Leap. He may never do it. But to him, uh, a paragraph is the Hall of Fame to me. And he was like, congratulations, Dad. I'm so proud of you. Then you get all emotional, but you also have to think about uh, the people who helped you, my coaches. I've always wanted to be coached, Trey. I really do. I, these, when I found out these guys over in this building, I used to pass by the building. I saw the light on 11 o'clock at night. I owe it to him to listen. I said, you know what? I, yeah. I can't do this. I, I just All that go in your head. But I just wish Coach Bowden would have been here because he would have been the one to introduce me because he's funny. He's articulate. He has great stories about me by visiting me. And when he passed away, it hurt me because it's like, a, you know, I wanted him and my mom. Oh, oh, my goodness. But I know they're they're watching and they're so happy. But Coach Bowden would have been, he would have been amazing. It would have took him three or four minutes because the way he knows yeah. me. So I've thought about all of that and was how different it's going to be when people see it. Why don't we take our second break here? We'll come back and talk about what's happening with the Packers now with Leroy Butler. See if he can figure out just all the problems. He'll figure he'll figure out all the problems for the Packers. We're coming right back. Stay with us. Want to make a bet this NFL Sunday? Let's get you caught up the best way we know how with Trey Trends presented by Caesar Sportsbook. So what do we make of the NFC? Let's just say it's on the struggle bus right now through the first eight weeks of the season. The last four teams in the NFC in the playoffs last year. The Niners, the Packers, the Bucks, and the Rams are a combined 13 and 18, and none of those teams have a winning record. Keep in mind, those were the top four teams in the NFC with the best odds to get to the Super Bowl at Caesar Sportsbook when the season began. Then things have changed dramatically. Right now, the Eagles on the top spot in the NFC with odds 7 to 1, followed by the Niners, a distant second at 12 to 1. 
After that, you got the Vikings at 15 to 1 and the Cowboys at 16 to 1. As for the Rams, they are now 40 to 1 to repeat as Super Bowl champs, and the Reeling Bucks are at 25 to 1. And these two teams, the Rams and the Bucks, meet in a huge matchup Sunday, Tampa Bay opening up the week as a three point favorite. However, including that division round playoff game in January, the Rams have actually won and covered eight of the last nine meetings against Tampa Bay. Ready to place your bet? Download the Caesar Sportsbook app to get in on all the action. Must be 21 or over, 19 or over in Ontario. Must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Maryland, Michigan, Nevada, New Jersey, New York, Ontario, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming, or Washington, D.C. Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, Ohio, Utah, and other states where we're Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problems? Well, in Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Virginia, West Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1 800 Gambler. That's 1 800 426 2537. Or Maryland, visit mdgamblinghelp.org. Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, D.C., Nevada, Wyoming, Kansas. Affiliated with Kansas Cross Casino. Call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IOWA. Call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed through Horseshoe, Closure City, and Harrison Orleans. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. Ontario, visit connectsontario.ca or call 1-866-531-2600 or text CONNECT to 247-247. Tennessee, call or text TN Redline at 1-800-889-9789. Time for the answer to our Mercedes-Benz trivia question. Leroy Butler was the first defensive back in the 20-sack, 20-interception club. How many other players have done it? Well, there have been six other defensive backs to do it. Brian Dawkins, former guest on Half Forgotten History. Rodney Harrison, Lawyer Malloy. Rondé Barber, former guest on Half Forgotten History. Adrian Wilson and Charles Woodson. And now back to more of our Half Forgotten History episode with Hall of Famer Leroy Butler. All right, back with Hall of Famer Leroy Butler now. So the Packers made one great transition once. They made the transition from Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers perfect, unbelievable, almost seamless in terms of the production and the consistency. Are we on the verge of maybe having to do that again? What, what's what's happening in Green Bay? It's hard to say because uh, one at one point, you know, last year Aaron didn't really know if he wanted to play. And I thought it was two things that Aaron would sitting in a room with Brett Favre for three years. First, don't throw interceptions. <laughs> And he doesn't do yeah, that. And yeah. the next. No, he does not. Kind of make your mind up later in your career how you want it to go. And last year, you know, him not being there for a while, Jordan Love did get a chance to take all the reps. And so when he finally came back, I said, okay, this won't happen again. They worked it out. So now here we are again. And it's just, it's just, now, now Trey, I'll say this. We, as a society, as uh, fans, we allow all 32 quarterbacks to do this kind of stuff, you know, uh, to kind of do things differently. You know, to Tom Brady, I think he should have stayed with New England. But they let him play his contract out so he's able to go to Tampa and win a Super Bowl. I mean, that's platinum. You could put that to the side. Now, you know, I've never thought I would see this when Gutekunst got to the podium and said he brought in Randall Cobb for Aaron Rodgers. I didn't ever think he would say it. I thought maybe if we knew it behind the scenes, it was fine. But now they've done yeah. everything last year for Aaron to make it work. And DeAndre Campbell, who's an all-pro linebacker, they had everything to win a Super yeah. Bowl. They were $45 million over the cap. I've never seen that before. Never. Not in Green Bay. When Ted Thompson was there, they were $18, yeah. $19 million under the cap trade, and the fan base would be livid. Spend the money. Well, they did that. So 
and it didn't work out. This year, as we do this interview, um, you know, Aaron hasn't come in. They haven't made their mind up. But the team said they want him back. So Matt LaFleur, who needs to get a new extension this year, Gutekunst, who also right. needs to get another extension, and Murphy, they're on the same page. They want him back. So, okay, fine. That's the direction we're going. Let's. They got to figure it out because they got to let a lot of players go. They got to restructure some of these deals. They did it with Kenny Clark and Aaron Jones to get, but they need more money to even draft. Yeah. So it's just a mess right now. Yeah, and the, and the whole thing with Devontae Adams, you know. I mean, yes. they, yeah. I, they're talking about they, they don't want to use the franchise tag on him, but if they have to, they will. So it's you're right. It's just a weird situation because normally this is not where the Packers find themselves, right? No, not in the, we don't normally get these headlines. It's normally, um, yeah. okay, we're looking forward to super, trying to put a team out there for the Super Bowl. We got this guy, this guy. And other teams deal with that for the last two years. It's been kind of a back and forth. How do you put together a team? But they said they're all in. They're going to push all this money to the future. It's almost like a normal Americans when you're overdrafted in your account, but you still write checks. Yeah. And you can't put right. money in. And they'll just keep, the, the bank will just keep whacking fees to you. The next thing you know, you owe more fees than the, on top of the checks. They're trying to figure that out with the avoidable years now with these teams. They give you money, yeah. add two phantom years on just to make it work. But if Aaron would say, listen, and I don't know if the reports are true about him won 50 million. I don't really care. Just come in, get a deal worked out so you can save some money, get under the cap. Now you can sign some of these core players to try to go for it again. Because the Rams, I'm going to tell you, I respect their GM. I didn't know who he was, but that man say, Less need. Hey, screw draft picks. I want a Super Bowl. <laughs> Standing ovation. Because Stand, that I like yeah. that kind of transparency. You want 15 first-round picks? Yeah. Keep them. I want to win it in so yeah. far. I need Matthew Stafford, blah, blah, blah. Nice coach may retire. Stop it. It don't matter. Yeah. This guy has proven it. Y'all can have all those draft picks because he probably said, Trey, the closest I'm going to get to a Super Bowl will be a veteran, not a rookie. So – yeah. Hey, some teams are going to do that. So the Packers may look at that and say, you know what? Think about this for a minute. With Jordan Love, if I trade Aaron Rodgers and Devontae, I get all these picks. It'll, it'll be a start of a rebuild. Can we still win the North? Probably because the North is terrible. So you're thinking, <laughs> well, well, what do we do? Do we put a great team around Love? Nope. We'll play with Aaron Rodgers. We'll push all the money in the future. And we'll try to win a Super Bowl. And the fans will be okay with it if you can win a Super Bowl. Yeah, they've been waiting since Super Bowl 45. Um, so as we've learned through this and you've learned through your life, you are a very patient man. Aaron Rodgers had to be a pretty patient man for a few years. Uh, what would you say to Jordan Love, who, again, they traded uh, – they moved up to get him. They moved up to get him in that first round. It wasn't like when Aaron fell to them uh, in the 2005 draft. What would you say to Jordan Love about being a patient man? I would say that you may not be the guy. Because if you were anything like they hope you would be, they would have moved on from Aaron. They just would have. And you would have a chance to get the keys to the franchise as did Aaron. You know, when he had to wait three years for Brett. Brett kind of waffled. I don't know if I want to come back. Hey, Ted Thompson and Mike McCarthy, the trainers left the station. We were 6-10 and 10 with Aaron the first year. I'm fine with it. At least 
yeah. the anxiety and this drama, I'm done with it. But no, I would if it were if it were me, if I was his age, I would ask for a trade. Trade me for a second or third round pick to Denver with Nathaniel Hackett. I can go there and develop yeah. and because you got to try to win while he's in his rookie contract. So that'll be great for Denver, one of these yeah. teams. But to put him in that room, okay, because like in my meeting room, Trey, it's like 70,000 of devious, defensive backs. It's 100 linemen in a quarterback room. It's like two or three guys. So you're going to put him back yeah. in that room and he's staring at Aaron Rodgers with a three-year extension. He's not going to play for another two years. They'll pick up his option. Yeah, he'll make good money, but he's not going to play for five years. And what if he's no good and Aaron is gone. He's no good. You got to start all over. So yeah. I would think you got to, if you want Aaron back, fine. You got to be fair to Jordan Love and just move him for whatever you can get. And now the Packers will go for the next three years. And then when your grandkids and my grandkids say, Hey, why the Packers terrible? Well, back in 2022, <laughs> they moved all this money and it's coming due now. So they don't have any money to sign players and they're okay with it. Yeah, it, it would be weird, like, for because Denver was one of those places that rumored that he was going to go, and they send Jordan Love yeah. <laughs> instead of Aaron Rodgers. That would be that would be interesting. That would be interesting, and not the way, hey, we got the Packers quarterback, just not the one we thought we were going right. to get. Right. Yeah. And, and be, you never yeah. know, when Nathaniel Hackett was the coordinator the last two years, he's been around Jordan Love. He said, well, we couldn't get platinum, but, hey, maybe we can get this bronze and make something out of it. If you put yeah. together some great players around mm-hmm. These quarterbacks, you may not need a Hall of Fame quarterback. Think about two, four seeds was in the um, Super Bowl. I mean, Joe Burrow, second year guy. I mean, he's going to be a platinum guy. But Matthew Stafford, I mean, look at God. This guy was in purgatory in Detroit. Get a phone call. You go there. You win a Super Bowl. But he had 17 picks, but they still won. So if Jordan Love goes somewhere to a good team, he maybe throw a few picks. If you got a good team around him, you can still win in this league. Listen, it's always good to catch up with you. Uh, I appreciate your time. I appreciate your story. And I can't wait to see you in Canton uh, this summer when you finally get your long overdue gold jacket. It'll be a lot of fun. So thanks again to Leroy Butler for joining us. And maybe his episode will spark a turnaround for the Packers because they could use it. Coming up next week on Half Forgotten History, another Hall of Famer who has the distinction of having more sacks than anybody else in the history of the NFL, the legendary Bruce Smith. We'll talk to you next week.